Welcome everyone. Um, glad you can make it in today on this snowy day. There's a special anointing that comes with that on days like this. I'd like to welcome those that are listening online. May you be blessed uh, wherever you are this week. The Torah reading is the ninth reading in the Torah, Parashat Vayeshev. And once again, I'm going to talk about dreams a little bit. I talked about dreams a couple of weeks ago with Yaakov when he had his dream of the ladder and the angels going, um, descending and ascending on the ladder. And dreams are something that's always been very interesting to me, probably interesting to many of us, um, because they're strange to us. And um, sometimes I've been very dismissive of dreams in the past. Sometimes dreams don't make a lot of sense. Dreams are a time where you go to sleep and you're not in control anymore. Sometimes you find yourself flying or you can throw a car, right? Dreams are a place where it seems like physics really don't matter anymore. Or I had a dream once where one of my children was all grown up and had children of their own. Well, that doesn't make sense. Seems like time really doesn't play a factor in dreams. So sometimes dreams can be discarded. It's just a dream. But sometimes I wonder if that's not a peek into what the spiritual world is like, because a spiritual world isn't bound by time as we know it or physics as we experience on this world. The spiritual world is probably much different than this world, maybe a bit more like our dreams are. And so it's in dreams that Adonai speaks to people and gives them visions. And um, we have that in the last couple of Torah portions for sure. This week's parsha opens up with the history of Yaakov, of course, and then proceeds with the story of Yosef. Um, early on, he is an, uh, indeed called a dreamer, just as his brothers and sisters, or his brothers, had characterized him. I'm going to begin this morning at the very beginning of this week's parsha. Read a little bit from Bereshit, chapter 37. It is uh, found on page 41 of the Stearns, or Genesis chapter 37, if you have a different version of Scripture. Bereshit, chapter 37, begins like this. Yaakov continued living in the land where his father um, had lived as a foreigner, the land of Canaan. Um, here is the history of Yaakov. When Yosef was 17 years old, he used to pasture the flock with his brothers, even though he was still a boy. Once, when he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Yosef the most of all his children because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a long-sleeved robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they began to hate him and reached the point where they couldn't even talk with him in a civil manner. Yosef had a dream, which he told his brothers, and that made them hate him all the more, he said to them. Listen while I tell you about this dream of mine. We were tying up bundles of wheat in the field when suddenly my bundle got up by itself and stood upright. Then your bundles came, gathered around mine, and prostrated themselves before it. His brothers retorted, uh, yes, yes, uh, you will certainly be our king. You'll do a great job of bossing us around. And they hated him still more for this dream 
uh, and for what he said. He had another dream which he told his brothers. Here I had another dream and there were the sun, the moon, and 11 stars prostrating themselves before me. He told his father too, as well as his brothers, but his father rebuked him. What is this dream you have had? Do you really expect me, your mother, your brothers, um, to come and prostrate ourselves before you on the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but the father kept the matter in mind. Now, I'll stop there. Here, of course, he shares a couple of dreams with his brothers and his father, and it is received uh, not well. It's received with anger and rebuke and pondering. I mean, what was he really thinking? Uh, well, his brothers were not going to be pleased with this news. Seems very strange. You could have a dream like that is one thing, but it's very strange to share that with your brothers when I can't imagine he was naive enough to think that they were going to accept that. There are many different um, answers to why he may have told them what he told them. But the Vilna Gaon suggests, the Vilna Gaon was a uh, rabbi that lived in the 1700s in Europe, and he actually gives a, what I thought was, makes the most sense as to why he would tell his brothers this. He says that Yaakov, or uh, Yosef, was a prophet, and prophets have a duty to reveal prophecy given to them. And so, even though he may have feared that his brothers might not like the dreams that he had, or hear what he had to say, if it's a prophecy, he has a duty to reveal that prophecy, reveal God's word to who the prophecy is meant for. And I thought that explanation made the most sense. Um, Yosef was simply doing his duty. Might not have been what he have wanted to do. He didn't want to have these dreams necessarily, but he perhaps might have wanted to keep them to himself, knowing his brothers were already irritated at him, but if it's a revelation given to him by Adonai, there is that duty, and he must act on that. He was given prophecy and had to do what prophets do. Usually, prophets are met with anger and rebuke. That is usually what prophets get in return for their prophecy. It was no different with him or Jeremiah or Isaiah or even Yeshua. They all revealed prophecy to their brothers, their people, and... Uh, it drove them mad, but prophets have a job to do, and they have to act on that. So moving along, before we get to the next dreams, there's a little bit that goes on in between it, just summarizing it up a little bit. Yosef is sold to a caravan right by his brothers um, and eventually finds himself in Egypt. Adonai, however, is with Yosef, and he lands a job working for, for, for Potiphar, um, the prosperity of Adonai comes to Potiphar through Yosef so that he is put in charge of all of Potiphar's possessions. Uh, later on, as our brother John read in this week's reading this morning, Potiphar's wife seemed to uh, have an inclination for Yosef, right? And some of her seductive antics landed Yosef in prison. But even in prison, he was blessed. Throughout all that, 
and was put in charge of much. It is here that we run into some more dreams. This time it's not Yosef's dreams, but the dreams of uh, some of the people in prison with him. At the end of this week's Torah portion in Bereshit chapter 40, the last chapter, we have a couple more dreams. Uh, Bereshit, or Genesis chapter 40, verse 1 begins like this. Sometime later, it came about that the Egyptian king's cupbearer and baker gave offense to their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh became angry with his two officers, the uh, cupbearer, the chief cupbearer, and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, and in the same place where Yosef was kept. The captain of the guard charged Yosef to be with them, and he became their attendant while they remained in prison. One night, the two of them, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and his baker, there in prison, both had dreams, and each dream with its own meaning. Yosef came into them in the morning and saw that they looked sad. He asked the Pharaoh's officers there with him in the prison of his master's house, why are you looking so sad today? And they said to him, we each had a dream, and there's no one around who can interpret it. Yosef said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Then the chief cupbearer told Yosef his dream. He said, in my dream, there in front of me was a vine, and the vine had three branches. The branches budded, then it suddenly began to blossom, and finally clusters of ripe grapes appeared. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and gave the cup to Pharaoh. Yosef said to him, here is its interpretation. The three branches are the three days, Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. You will be giving Pharaoh his cup, as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when it goes well with you and show me kindness. Please, and mention me to Pharaoh so that he will release me from prison. For the truth is that I was kidnapped um, from the land of the Hebrews, and here too I've done nothing wrong that, I should, that would justify putting me in prison. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Yosef, well, I too had a dream. Uh, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. <clears throat> Yosef answered him, he said, here is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off of you, he will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat their flesh off you. Now, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a party for all his officials, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among its officials. He restored the chief cupbearer back to his position so that he gave Pharaoh his cup, but each day he hanged the chief baker as Yosef had interpreted to them. Nevertheless, the chief cupbearer didn't remember Yosef, but forgot him. Always seems strange, kind of uh, jerkish, that the cupbearer kind of just rolled on out of prison and never remembered Yosef. The sages gave a fairly interesting explanation. They say that the cupbearer, when he left prison, wanted to 
uh, talk about Yosef to Pharaoh. So he tied a little knot in a piece of cloth. So that would be a reminder. So the next day he would talk to Pharaoh. But at night, an angel came and undid, undid the knot in his pocket, and he forgot. The next day, oh, I forgot to tell Pharaoh about Yosef. So he wrote down on a piece of paper, I'm going to remember to tell Pharaoh about he needs to free Yosef, and he puts it in his pocket. Well, that night, an angel comes and erases the words off the paper, and he forgets to tell Pharaoh. And over and over again, everything that the uh, cupbearer tried to do to remember Yosef in front of Pharaoh, the, uh, the angels would come and thwart his efforts. And that's because Adonai was giving Yosef a little more time to think about why he is in there. He asked the cupbearer to remember him when he should have been asking Adonai to remember him. He put his faith in the cupbearer and should have put his faith in Adonai, and thus he had to spend a little bit more time in there before he was let go. It seems the, uh, those righteous ones, right, the Zadiks, they're held to a very high standard, and when they fall, it, they uh, really need to be I guess addressed. <laughs> Anyways, here, in these two dreams, Yosef's interpreting a couple dreams for these guys. And there are some similarities between the dreams, right? There's the number three, the cupbearer saw three vines, um, three branches, they're budding and blossoming, and um, the baker, he had three baskets. And so there's some similarities there between the dreams, uh, but there's some differences also. The Midrash talks about Yosef getting an inclination before the divine revelation of the uh, message. It seems when the cupbearer was talking about the three, the vine, right? He interpreted the vine as Israel. And the three, um, the budding, blossoming um, blossoms that came on that, those three were uh, Moses and Aharon and Miriam and that the clusters of grapes and all that thriving was Israel going out of Egypt and back into the land, this was a good dream. And when the baker had talked about his dream and he had the three baskets on his head and the birds eating out of the basket represented the four um, exiles of Israel. Now... I was reading this in the Midrash, and I thought, well, that doesn't make, I see where they're going, and it sounds nice, I kind of like that, but four exiles, there's only three baskets. They kind of couch it as three and one. The fourth one has, they haven't returned from the exile yet, so there's no fourth basket for that. Anyways, Yosef, at some point, because he gave credit to God, he was given revelation on how to interpret these dreams. Not just anyone's in the dream interpretation business, although some people think they are. Very small amount of people have this kind of wisdom. Taking a closer look at these dreams, there's essential differences. The cupbearer, in a subtle sort of way, um, gives definition to his dream, the character of his dream, as being proactive. When you look at verse 11, verse 11 says, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and gave, them, gave the cup to Pharaoh. In other words, he is being a good and faithful servant to his master. 
And he has action here. He's, he took it. He pressed it. He gave it to Pharaoh. This is action that he is doing. Now, in contrast, the baker's dream, it's one of just passiveness. There's no action being taken in the service of his master. It says in his dream that there were three baskets of white bread on his head. In the uppermost basket, there were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds ate them out of the basket. Birds ate out of the basket on my head. The only action being expressed here is on behalf of the birds. The cupbearer was active in his service and the baker was passive. The birds were the ones that were active. This is not the first time in scripture that birds play a symbolic role in the scriptures. Birds are often, um, eh, for better or for worse, kind of couched in a little bit negative. Flip back a few pages, well, it's a little more than a few pages, to Genesis chapter 15. It's on page, we're starting in verse 7, so it's on page 14. Yes, Genesis chapter, this is the covenant between the parts, right? Um, he's getting great blessing here from Adonai. So we got uh, Abraham here. Then he said to him, I am Adonai who brought you out from the Ur-Kazdim to give you this land as your possession. He replied, Adonai, God, how am I able to know that I will possess it? And he answered him, bring me a three-year-old cow and a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a dove, and a young pigeon. He brought him out all of these, cut the animals in two, and placed the pieces opposite each other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. Birds of prey swooped down on the carcasses, but Avram drove them away. As the sun was about to set, a deep sleep fell on Avram. Horror and great darkness came over him. Adonai said to Avram, know this for certain, your descendants will be foreigners in a land not theirs, and they will be his slaves, held there in oppression for 400 years. But I will also judge that nation, the one that makes them slaves, and afterwards they'll leave my possession. As for you, you will join your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Only in the fourth generation will your descendants come back here, because only then will the emery be ripe for punishment. So here... Um, we have the birds, these uh, birds of prey, trying to uh, sort of attempt to break up the covenant before it's completed. You can see sort of Hasatan's thought process was that if he could snatch away this acceptable sacrifice before it's offered, it would render the covenant invalid. Avraham, or Avram at this point, certainly does not entertain a passive condition here. He just doesn't sit idly by, but he drives the birds away. And so this is his contribution to the covenant. You know, you read that he was put in a sleep, and it's Adonai really that walks between the parts. Um, but Avram does make a contribution here by driving off Hasatan as he's trying to get involved and sideline that covenant. There's a similar passage, not about birds, but about being passive, all about birds, um, that uh, Rav Lorberg had in his notes. And it's in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, way over on the other end of the Bible. Matthew, chapter 13, um, starting in verse 3, 
It is on page 1239. This is where I'll be reading from. I'll start in verse 1. I like the setup. Matthew 13, 1 <clears throat> reads like this. That same day, Yeshua went out of the house and sat down by the lake. But such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the crowd stood on the shore. And he told them many things in parables. He starts out with this parable. that says, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some seed fell alongside the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky patches where there was not much soil, and it sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun had risen, the young plants were scorched, and since their roots were not deep, they dried up. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, but others fell into rich soil and produced grain. A hundred or sixty or thirty times as much had been sown. Those who have ears, let them hear. So here we see, as the farmer sowed, some of the seed fell along the path, and again, birds came and ate it up. It seems the evil one seizes opportunities where there's uh, no one there to drive him away. And that comes from inactivity, inactivity such as in the case of the baker in today's parsha, as well as the seed, right? There is no farmer out there swatting the birds away. Examples of inactivity tend to expose someone to the work of the evil one who comes after them like a vulture. Courses of action, on the other hand, as in the case of Avram and the cupbearer, those are met with pleasing results from the eyes of the master and provide life on a national and personal level. A person of action, along with faith, is rewarded with an intimate relation from his master. It seems we talk, seems we talk about deeds and actions a lot, but it's important and needs to be driven home. All of us, right, we profess to be people of faith, but a faith that's a little passive, you know, is dangerous. And so it's helpful for me to review this from time to time. It's important because we are Hasatan's prime targets. That's why I talk about it so much. The wicked, he leaves alone. In his eyes, they're doing just fine. We're the prime targets. It's people who follow Adonai. That's who he is after. I find it helpful to keep in mind Matthew Chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, right? That helps me to elevate my faith from just faith, but elevate that and turn that into action. Most of us, of course, we want to try the best we can to seek the kingdom and be active in our faith, but it's not always easy. Uh, we grow, we grow tired. Sometimes we're discouraged by uh, bad health. Sometimes we get distracted by all of the distractions that the world offers us. Or sometimes we just drift. That's the human condition. We just need to be drifting back and pray for wisdom and revelation and strength and to be good servants. He is faithful even when we fall short. When our intentions and our actions align with his will, then, like Yosef, we are best positioned to receive revelation from Adonai. It would be uh, remiss of me to 
uh, leave you this morning without mentioning Hanukkah, of course. Parsha Vayeshev is usually read either on the Shabbat before or during Hanukkah. And so there is a lot of really great parallels there that um, we will be giving a fuller treatment next Shabbat. But I'll leave you with this thought. The word Hanukkah, of course, means dedication. But the root, the shoresh, is hanach. And that can also mean to train or to teach or to educate. And so our prayers, we're going into Hanukkah and going into this season, um, means that we either need to uh, retrain ourselves or rededicate ourselves to his service and that we ask God uh, as our master and our king to teach us about our actions and how in truth we can accomplish them through him. And so may we find a sense of renewal this Hanukkah season. May the spirit, the Ruach, encourage us and inspire us to be active and not passive in aligning our intentions and our actions to his will. And may we encourage others to do so and uplift others in their effort as well. Shabbat Shalom.